Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hi everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a new episode of our Ecom show. And today I'm here with uh, Telef and uh, he's the founder and CEO of Accelerated Digital Media. And this is a marketing agency from the US. They work with uh, quite big clients and uh, he will tell us more about their story today and uh, also how he sees the future of uh, marketing. Um, hey Telef, how are you today? Good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm doing well. Happy to be on here with you, Daniel. Thanks for having me. So let's start with some story time. You started the company in uh, 2017. And uh, I'm really curious, um, you know, back then, was it your first company or, or not your first venture? And uh, what was your initial motivation back then with this uh, company? Yeah, uh, the initial motivation um came from working at Google, being involved in this industry, uh, being a part of Google's accelerated growth team, which was at the time was a pilot program working with the fastest growing uh, Google ads accounts in, in North America. And unique to most of Google's ad support team was the fact that we actually came in and took over comprehensive account management within these Google ads accounts. You know, the, the, the rest of the entire Google ads division at Google is focused on consulting and advisory. We were taking our hands on, onto the keyboard in the controls of the account and, and driving success of, of the, and driving the success of those accounts. I came across a lot of agencies in that, uh, while I was on that team for a year and a half that were under delivering for their clients and, mm -hmm. and a, a sad amount of agencies that seemed to be somewhat aware of how they were under delivering and they just felt they could kind of get away with it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'll say that's not the case for all of them, but it was, it was disheartening yeah. to, to find even, even a single client or agency that, that felt that way. So um, I had incredible exposure to businesses and accounts that were scaling throughout that experience. I felt I could offer an agency service that was price competitive and provided a superior service offering. And I decided to, to leave Google and take that chance and set out on my own, uh, reaching out to companies directly and, and charging a fee for service. Um, in terms of the, the second part of or the initial part of your question, uh, I've always been somewhat entrepreneurial. Um, you know, I kind of kid that started a dog walking business when I was 15 mm -hmm. years old. I owned a summer camp uh, for seven to nine-year-old boys when I was in college. Um, so I, I had been involved, but this was this is my my first business of this nature. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I see. Um, so you mentioned Google, and is this still the core of your uh, service offerings? No, no longer the exclusive service offering. It's a big part of what we do today, but um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's the core. Um, one thing that we've done in terms of our work is really taking a, an investment approach to media management and to digital okay. marketing. 
So we take our clients' businesses, we look at their marketing budgets, we look at uh, what are their goals, how do they define success uh, from a marketing standpoint, from a growth standpoint, and then how do they need to build a digital marketing program to achieve those goals? So we don't favor one channel over another. We favor the channel that drives success and contributes to reaching our clients' goals, whether that's paid social, paid search, yeah. programmatic media, direct mail. Um, we don't provide any sort of email or SMS services, but we still consult on, on uh, you know, the expectation of, of new business or returning customers that should be coming from those channels. Um, so it's not exclusively Google anymore. And, and a big part of why, a big part of the value we bring to our clients comes from the fact that we do have a more diverse set of services and we can really yeah, consult yeah. The, the entire suite. That's very interesting. So can we say that you basically provide a CMO to these companies? You know, there, there's companies out there that position themselves as your, your external CMO or your outsourced yeah. CMO. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we probably provide a lot of the functions that those companies provide and, and a lot of similar services. That's, I think in a lot of ways, that's overstating uh, what the expectation should be. I think we, we provide a role that supports the CMO. And I think it's incredibly important to have full-time in-house people uh, within a marketing department. Of course, the size and scale of the company has massive implications on, on what's feasible there and, and how our role might differ. Um, but I think you could say in, in some ways we do, but that's, um, I think that that also undervalues the, the real expectations that companies should have for their internal marketing department and their mm -hmm. CMOs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but I assume that still there is someone in your team who oversees these channels because many agencies, they just do one channel. They do email only, Facebook ads only, Google ads, but you do multiple ones. And uh, you mentioned this invest, investor mindset, let's say. So I guess you have someone who understands all of these uh, channels to a certain level. And then you have some you know, channel experts for each who can execute the, the plan for each uh, marketing channel. Yeah, that's, that's very close to the way that we structure it. We have channel experts and we do believe in specialization. So we have a paid search team that exclusively focuses on making sure that we can offer the best paid search program possible. We have a paid social team that does the same thing, so on and so forth for the different services that we, we offer our clients. Uh, when it comes to understanding what is the breakdown of success and contributions to growth and to goals uh, from each of these channels. We have our, our most senior people within those channel teams collaborating to understand the different variables at play within the, the channels and, and coming to an agreement on where the budget should be broken down. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. it isn't a separate team or separate individual. It's, <clears throat> it's senior individuals and collaboration that ultimately uh, ultimately finalizes our recommendation on where budgets should be within each channel. Yeah. I just had a conversation with our COO in the team that uh, in, in, I'm in my agency, we should also have less processes, fewer processes, and uh, just giving more authority to our people to decide where the budget goes, really. So they should just know the budget goals and the 
you know, the goal, how much revenue we aim for or, or profits we aim for, and then they can decide what to do with the budget. So, uh, and I really want to emphasize this to, to everyone should do it in this way that, you know, fewer rules internally and just give the goals to your uh, team members and they can decide how to achieve that, what channels to use, what resources to use, uh, they learn it themselves or they delegate to an agency, they hire new people, whatever they like, but the less rules you have, the better um, it becomes. Um, that's my opinion. And I know many companies, they are not there yet. So, so yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so what trends can you see um, in digital marketing recently, especially AI? So I, I was at this conference yesterday, Commerce Next here in New York, and AI was a crazy big topic, um, obviously. And uh, I'm just curious what you can see where this whole thing is going now. Uh, you know, we, we started this conversation talking about Google, uh, our team and, and in particular, our VP of client growth, Eric Pichetti actually published, uh, an article this last week on how AI is changing the Google search for users and for advertisers. So I, yeah. I highly recommend that your listeners take a, take a look at that article to see, uh, much more detail about how, how we're thinking about, uh, the paid media landscape and Google search specifically as it relates to AI that can be found in, in the insight section of, of our website, acceleratedigitalmedia.com. Um, you know, I think there's right now, there's a lot of ideas. Uh, I, I think our team has a really good pulse and I think we're, we're doing a good job of staying up to date and plugged into how AI could impact uh, this, this industry in the future. But, but I do think a lot of what's happening right now is speculation. Um, yep. We're seeing, you know, in the last year, some of the real power of AI and the potential of AI, we are fully bought into uh, the potential of, of that implication. Um, but at the same time, I think back to a cartoon that I saw yesterday, which <laughs> talked about how uh, it was a little comic. Um, and, and it talked about how, you know, the, the conversation between marketing and, and the C-suite is what's happening with AI and marketing department was saying, we don't know, but we're implementing it everywhere we can as fast as we can. And I think that's that's a little bit of what's going on, um, uh, obviously a satirical play on it. But the, the point is that a lot of people, in particular people that I respect and thought leaders in the space, are, um, are very much bought into the potential of this technology and and where it can move our businesses, our industries, everything from the internal processes that we've developed and a lot of the tasks that we execute to manage day-to-day -day operations of these ad accounts, all the way to the, the technical structure of these ad platforms that we're operating in. But how exactly it's going to play out, I, I still think is, is very early. Um, you know, we're, we're staying informed, but I would say at this point, we're not making any bets on, on where yeah. this is going to go. Yeah, I think uh, yesterday somebody told me, and I really like this thought, that every company can benefit from it in different ways. But the point is that you should uh, learn about opportunities and your people, they should learn about these. And uh, you will find one or two areas where it will truly help you and your team. And then once it happens, once you find those, you should double down on those. 
and uh, and really invest into those. It can be your competitive advantage at some point. And uh, the other areas, you you can still follow the trends and everything, but uh, it's better to focus on one, two things where you can truly excel with AI and it truly helps you, which is interesting. Um, for example, in our company, copywriting is the one. So we are really looking into this now. Um, yeah, also, I, I can also. I'm curious what oh, you think. Go. Yeah, I will go to the next topic. So carry on. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so to elaborate on AI, um, you know, I, I say we're not making any bets, and and what I mean by that is we're not making any significant investments at this point in time. However, we are we are integrating AI into okay. some of what we do. A lot of the content that we yeah. write, and you talk about copywriting is still highly technical and and especially with our work in the digital health space it can also be highly regulated so we have not turned to ai to contribute to any of that but as we continue to scale our yeah, content yeah. um i think the ability to to handle a higher demands within content and copy is is, is very much um is enabled by ai the other thing that we're doing is we are integrating BARD into several of our reports and basically mm -hmm. using AI to provide qualitative analysis of, uh, of certain campaigns and, and different strategies that we've deployed on behalf of our clients. I also have a couple of friends that are working on businesses focused exactly on that in order to sell that technology to, to agencies. So um, right now we're kind of tiptoeing into it um but but some things that i'm definitely excited about yeah yeah actually medical writing is the last thing i would try i would you know i i wouldn't rely on ai because uh even one mistake is a big one can be a big one there so there are legal implications and uh and it's it's health space so it's tricky um yeah i agree yeah so you want to obviously you want to grow your clients but what are the what, what what's your strategy really or or uh, maybe if you can tell us a few examples recent examples uh, what results you could get and how you could get those um and why they couldn't get those before you your clients sorry can you elaborate are you on that yeah, question yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you could mention a few examples of your clients' uh, case studies, hmm. you know, how you work with them, how you could help them, and uh, how yeah, how you could get those results together. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think I can uh, share some information there. So we, we really focus on two industries predominantly. We have some diversity within our clients in our portfolio, but predominantly we're focused in the healthcare space and digital health. And we're focused on e-commerce uh, with particular specialization in direct-to-consumer e-commerce. Um, you know, one example of our, our digital health work is uh, a partnership with a company called Nurex, which is uh, a sexual wellness and, and telemedicine company. They were actually our first foray into the digital health world. We brought them on almost five years ago now. We maintained that partnership. They merged with a company based in New York called 30 Madison. Uh, and we've continued to expand support of the 30 Madison portfolio following that merger. And a big part of how we've helped their business beyond advising where they should be investing media and the overall strategies they should be deploying and executing on those strategies is 
uh, is understanding the nuances of industry operations within healthcare space. And mm -hmm. by educating ourselves and making sure our team, there's a standard of, of excellence in terms of within the team of how we're educating ourselves on the client and the industry, we've uncovered a lot of information around the different audiences that pay with insurance versus pay within cash. Integrating that language into their ad copy, understanding how search terms differ when an individual is pursuing a cash payment medical service, uh, healthcare service, or an insurance covered healthcare service has dramatically increased the ability for us to capture new customers and, and to do so at an accelerated rate with that client. We've taken that strategy and extrapolated that language onto our retargeting efforts and onto specific prospecting efforts within paid social as well, ensuring that the appropriate language is tied to the audience that tends to lean in, in the direction of cash versus an insurance payment and vice versa. So I think that that's just a, an exemplification of how we kind of take our research and understanding of the industry and the client very seriously and how it can inform very impactful strategies. We, we have a case study on the improvement in overall lift of patient acquisition once we integrated this insurance strategy. I don't know if we published it on our site. Um, if not, I'll have to get it up there, but that was, that was interesting. Um, I'll pause yeah. there for a second because I, I took that one a, a little bit longer than you may have expected, Daniel. No, that's completely fine. So if you can share the case study with me after this recording, that would be great. And we can uh, put this into the show notes and everyone can find it. Um, yeah, so health space and e-commerce. Mm, maybe any examples from e-commerce? Yeah. Um, on the e-commerce side, uh, you know, we've been working in that space since day one of, of the agency. Uh, and, and in particular, um, you know, we've got one client that I, I that I can speak to now, uh, a company called Johnnyo, which send, sells men's apparel. They're largely associated as, as a golf brand, but they also have a lifestyle component of the work that they do. A big part of their business was focused on retail sales. Uh, you know, golf shops is, is the place where most people are familiar with that brand. And they've they've been on a mission to expand their digital presence. And that mission timed up pretty well, actually, with the onset of COVID. Um, and then COVID accelerated the need for that part of their business to contribute more to sales. So in this instance, we've taken a company that is, is a well-established company, has a well-known brand, is doing very mm -hmm. healthily, but is really looking to ramp their online presence and, and the contribution to their gross revenue that digital plays. So what we've been able to do is, is to identify the individuals that have an understanding of their brand, lean into that and have a stronger presence within paid social, within programmatic media to bring an association of that brand from exclusively within the golf course or within the retail locations and sort of have like a natural migration to saying, hey, you know, you got the same great products, but you've got a, a, a larger inventory. You've got direct access to new releases, uh, new styles, seasonal clothing, et cetera, when you interact with us online through educating the audience, both new and existing, about the advantages of, of that digital interaction with them and making a purchase from their, their e-commerce store. 
and also making sure we've exhaustively rolled out the most effective direct response channels, such as performance max, paid search, paid social, um, and really robust retargeting efforts across programmatic and paid social, and uh, and to an extent, uh, Google ads as well. We've been able to, mm-hmm. to capture a lot of demand and, and really provide the uh, the boost to that business from a digital landscape and, and build a lot of confidence from that team to continue to lean into digital as, as a means of acquiring customers into the future. Yeah, yeah. So I have two questions uh, related. One is another hot topic. So attribution, especially that you work with multiple channels and uh, what, what what's your take on attribution? Because we know it's a tricky topic. How do you measure things? How much you go deep? Um, where the sale comes comes from, or 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 not that much. Yeah, I think attribution is potentially the most important conversation right now. You know, if you rewind five years, I think the most important conversation was how do you generate performance creative? How do you make sure you don't just have good creative, but how does it work? How does it inspire individuals to interact with your brand? Ideally become a customer after a single click. Um, And the industry has learned a lot and evolved quite a bit in terms of uh, defining that formula. Now it's, it's attribution. You know, we've got iOS updates, which impact tracking. We've got Google talking about cookie deprecation. They've been talking about it a lot more than they've been doing it. And, and us marketers, you know, somewhat hope that that conversation continues in, instead of them making the change uh, on the dates that they continue, continue to set um, and then push back. Um, but I, I think attribution is, is a huge priority. There is no magic bullet to solve attribution. And a lot of these third-party attribution tools that our, our clients are looking at, their major variable that they include to, to solve some of the attribution questions and the unknowns is a survey in the checkout. And we all know that there are limitations when it comes to a survey. You may have been served impressions on a multitude of channels and you have no idea, but subconsciously your brain is aware of that brand because of those, yeah. Th- yeah, yeah. That, that being served. They may have clicked on a Google ad in their last interaction. And because of that recency bias, they're completely ignoring the social ad that they clicked on a week ago or a day ago, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, So it's interesting. A lot of clients are paying for sophisticated third-party attribution, but I I don't always see the value or the justification and value that that companies are, are paying for when... The, the major differentiator is going to be a, a question in, in the checkout process. We've worked with our clients pretty extensively to get the most out of the free tools that are available, really using Google Analytics for mm-hmm. all of the value that, that it can offer. We've worked with our clients to understand the difference between Triple Well, between Rockerbox, to be able to advise them based on the specific needs they have within their business. Where I land in terms of what is the best solution, it isn't a specific analytics platform. It's consistency and it's mutual understanding between all of the key stakeholders. Your CFO needs to be looking at success in a similar way as your marketing team. And your Mm -hmm. marketing team needs to make sure they are abundantly clear and consistent with anyone else involved with performance of marketing channels, predominantly an agency. Uh, about what those goals are and how we're measuring success. 
you can't be looking at the business success by looking at a looker report that is aggregating all of your performance, superimposing some other formula to come up with an attribution model, and then telling your agency, hey, we just want to pursue a 3x ROAS within Facebook and a 2.5x within Google. That, that's not going to work. That's going to lead to your agency thinking they're successful and your, your internal team thinking you're not successful or, or vice versa. So I think it's yeah. understanding how ad platform performance actually impacts the business and making sure all key stakeholders are on the same page. Hey, Budai Nation. Welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic. So it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. On a more tactical level, the survey is interesting. I think you are the first person who is telling me this, that... Uh... You can actually serve your customers. Um, yeah, and that's more qualitative data than, than numbers. So that's very interesting. And everyone can start doing that, I think. I think it's, it's directional. And it gives you, it, it is quantitative. It gives you another data point to consider. Mm-hmm. But it, it, okay. it, it, should, it should be acknowledged and it shouldn't be over-indexed. Yeah, And I think the the other thing that we do with our clients is we'll do some holdout tests. So we'll say, okay, we've got an attribution model. It's data-driven. It takes uh, takes into account, you know, impressions to an extent. It might prioritize clicks. It takes the the recent clicks into account as well. But we also want to have an understanding of what is pouring more money into a brand campaign on social due to your sales over the next three months. What does pulling back on prospecting that Facebook may say is not performing that well from a ROAS standpoint, but ultimately may be driving a lot more searches or direct visits to your website? What does pulling back from that do to your sales over the next one to three months? Executing different holdout tests to invest or divest from specific strategies to see how performance follows. It's not easy to do. You've got seasonality, you've got holidays, you've got um, you know, changes in consumer behavior, different products rolling out. And so there's always a lot of variables to consider, but it, it's an important part of understanding the success that's driven from the various marketing strategies you deploy. Same thing with you. I would imagine, you know, if you stop sending emails, you're going to see pretty clearly the difference in return customers, average order value, yeah. uh, so on and so forth. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, sometimes we have clients or, or employees in their teams who say that we should send less emails or we don't need SMS marketing, push marketing, whatever. And the holdout test will tell you pretty much um, if we shut down SMS, then you will see the, the results quite soon. So, and it's not just about the direct attribution to SMS, but um it also increases the value of email and all, all of the other marketing channels. So, so yeah. Um, and I, I think people, they always look for easy solutions. So it's just so much easier and, and lazier to look at one analytical platform. You have the numbers there. This is the ROAS. Okay, do it more or do it less. And that's it. Instead of considering multiple things, 
um, talking to multiple people and, and all of that. So, so yeah. Um, uh, my last question today, and it's, it's related to attribution. So how do you price your uh, services? Because you, you know, you execute on multiple channels, you go for growth. So I imagine it can be tricky to price the services, but uh, I know some agencies, they uh, price based on uh, the, the ad spend, others they on the growth. Others, they just charge a flat fee. I'm just curious, what's your model? Everyone does it differently. Yeah. Um, it's funny. When, when I started this agency, I was determined to just do a flat fee uh, for a number of reasons. And that's what I rolled out. And that was so foreign to this industry. And everyone was so accustomed to paying percentage of ad spend that I yeah, moved yeah. quickly to percentage of ad spend, ad spend because it, it made all of my conversations easier because it's what they were used to. Um, today, we, we do a combination of ad spend and a minimum retainer. Um, yeah, It's not both and, but it's a combination of those two uh, ideologies. And the, the thinking behind the minimum retainer is we know to deliver at the level of quality we are, are expecting of ourselves within search, within social, within programmatic, et cetera, we need to spend a certain amount of time on strategy ex and execution as well as client engagement. And so we have a minimum per channel to make sure that we can cover the cost to, to meet those expectations. At a certain point, we wanna make sure that we, we also are not over-indexing our compensation from one channel or another. So we, pay, we charge our clients the greater between the individual minimums of the channels we're working with and the overall percentage of ad spend. So the second, let's say, for example, we're charging a minimum of 5K for search and 5K for social. The second, the, the, if we're charging 10% media, the second that overall media budget exceeds $100,000, we're charging a percentage of media. Even if Facebook is contributing 10,000 and Google is contributing uh, you know, 100,000, we're gonna be charging 11, 10%, so $11,000 uh, across all of that, that media to make sure that we can, uh, again, advise our clients on where budget should be prioritized from one platform to another based on how it impacts business goals. Yeah, I see, makes sense. Um, yeah, so thank you, Telaf, uh, for sharing your story today and uh, giving all of these insights uh, to our audience. And uh, in the show notes, I will put this article that you mentioned, which is on, on your website, and also the case study if you uh, send me over so our listeners, they can uh, check this out. Also, I will put a 50-point checklist for uh, e-commerce email marketing that everyone can download for free. That's what we use with our clients as well. And uh, finally, every week we come out with two new episodes. So stay tuned, everyone. And uh, thanks again. Have a great day. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Daniel.